Hello, welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast. I am Cammy Black. Um, yeah, well, here we are again. Um, joining me this evening to um, for this collective therapy session, we've got John Anderson. Good evening, John. Delighted to be here, Cam. Um, we've got Craig Manson. Good evening, Craig. Good evening, Craig. You've had a wonderful weekend. Yeah, rugby is broken for me. <laughs> that's, that's Craig. That's Craig's contribution to the next hour. <laughs> Literally, he's going to say now at this point. Just leave. <laughs> uh, we've got Johnny McGinty. Hello, good evening, Johnny. Good evening. How are we doing? It does sound as chapters. One person who is very delighted to join us is uh, Phil Lewis. Good evening, Phil. Good evening, Cammy. Good evening, everyone. We needed someone to bring the energy tonight, Phil. <laughs> so, to be fair, I actually agreed to come on before, before the weekend, so I was fully expecting to be a lamb to the slaughter in every sense of the word. I know that is that is me being hoisted by my own petard there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for having me. That's all right. You're very welcome. Listen, if, if people are um, watching us live, we're currently on YouTube, uh, Twitter, and Twitch. Uh, you can also download the podcast afterwards in audio format on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you can get um, your podcasts. You can say, Google, play the Scottish Rugby Podcast, and it plays us, which is very funny to me. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> you can also sign up to our Patreon for £3 a month, uh, patreon.com slash Scottish Rugby Podcast, and you get a bonus weekly episode of the podcast where we delve a little bit deeper into the weekly news, um, talk a bit things a bit more kind of further afield than Scottish rugby, and have a little bit of a, a little bit of a swear as well. It's more of a grown up podcast that one, but uh, that's three pounds a month. Um, so let's start with a little bit of news, shall we? Just to kind of delay the inevitable. Um, there's been a couple of resignings with Embra and Glasgow. Craig, you happy with yours announced today? I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we have signed uh, or re-signed. Well, it's the usual thing of um, we're being told that uh, someone who has been uh, with us for a period of time has now signed for another period of time. And that's Charlie Savala. Um, uh, great to see him. He's a, he's, a, he's a great young talent, actually. He's um, uh, hopefully going to uh, take us through, um, uh, through the end of um, Van der Volt's um, uh, contract and... Uh, Obviously, um, the uh, the what's the word, the ten of the moment, and the uh, the man that our cult is based around Blair Kingham. <laughs> is Charlie Savala? Do you think a, a prospect residence wise, Craig? Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, well, <clears throat> well, I'm sure we'll have a discussion about tens tonight. Um, but uh, but I think there's there's quite a few. We've got some. It's nice to see that actually Edinburgh are involved in looking further down the line at, at tens and uh, and at all the positions within um, uh, within the rugby rugby team rather than Glasgow constantly doing it and uh, us kind of just looking across the mate going, oh, can we have them too, please? So uh, <laughs> it's it's quite nice to have a uh, to have a have the future being signed and people get you know, youngsters getting a little bit more chance to play. Yeah, uh, John Glasgow signing is re-signing as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, Pieretto, uh, Argentinian prop. I mean, it just it was kind of like the perfect re-signing for this week because the mood was already just like ugh. Okay, anyway, but uh, you know, good. I mean, it's about depth at prop. Nobody's convinced by Simon Bergen. Um, 
and you know Argentinian props are apparently hey, made to be good. So Gregor Townsend was convinced by Simon Bergen before the World Cup. He said he officially the world's fittest prop, Simon Bergen. Yeah, but <laughs> so, so, here lies the issue. That is not a defi- like that is not like see if you were to look up right. So you know like do a do a personality test for like positions in rugby, and you were to go right tick a box. I am the fittest person at my rugby club. You're not going to be told you're a prop, are you? Check the two props just being indignant and raging about the fact that one of them got called fit. <laughs> I, I actually was a back row, Johnny. So I'll have you know. <laughs> yeah, no, that- that's that's a nonsense. And I'm a winger, so I know exactly how... Exactly. Prop, prop, winger, prop winger for life, mate. So, had you not just arrived at the club, though, John? Is this like... A, do you think he was kind of here on a year contract and they've just decided, I think, I think ah, you're all right? I, no, I think it was a two-year deal he had. And they, so, he'd, he'd signed, I think it was two years ago he signed, and it's just an extension. I'd imagine right. he'll be here for another year till we figure out if there's a Scots prop that will surf him or we steal a 76-year-old WP nail across the road. <laughs> There's still time. Because that, that generally is what we would do at this point. We wear a retirement home for a couple of seasons, so you know, might as well just you, continue. You that. don't, you don't deserve WP Nell. How? I mean, you? We, you we'll do. get, we'll get him across the road. We'll put a you massive know. wage on him, and then you, we'll not play him. It's fine. We've got it sorted. Have you got the best years out of some good Ember props? Yeah, girth at the end of his career. We did. Yeah, no, that was. I mean, that was a good retirement home, and he had a, a spectacular beard at that point. You've yeah. also got Al, you've all got also got Al Dickinson as your forest as your scrum mm-hmm. coach, and and yet has the Glasgow scrum <laughs> moved forward? <laughs> um, other news today: um, Emma Wassell is going to win her fifty-first cat consecutive fifty-first cap, her fifty-first consecutive cat in a row <laughs> in a row. Like she made a debut and then she just hasn't stopped playing for Scotland effectively, which I. I te- put a tweet out today saying, is this some sort of record? And as far as I can tell, it, it's possibly a record, certainly in women's rugby. It's def- It seems to be a record in the pro era of rugby as well. Uh, there's some indication that Gareth Edwards may have played 53 tests in a row. Um, and some um, some New Zealand prop played 63. So she's... It must. That's got to be some sort of record, Craig. You should have taken uh, Johnny's advice and how you go about getting the right answer on the internet was just stating something as an absolute fact and waiting for someone to correct you. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> true, yeah. A record. Somebody would definitely come out of the woodwork and say you're wrong if it was wrong. <laughs> Johnny does. Johnny does state a lot of things as fact in their room. <laughs> <laughs> that's mostly because I'm just looking for the answer. So that's what Phil just explained. <laughs> um. The, but kind of tying into that, though, there's been an announcement this week. Phil, I'm interested in your take on this announcement this week that there's going to be a feasibility study on the prospect of Alliance Women's Tour, which on the one hand is exciting, but at the same time feels like kicking it into the long grass. Yeah, it does. Have, it has a bit of a whiff of that, of it, doesn't it? I was looking into two circles and who they're sort of like who they're responsible for, what other work they've done with. And like some of them sound really good, like they've done some work with... Uh, Wimbledon, the Premier League, the 100, which obviously has been a huge success. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't seem to be like it's... It, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they come up with at the end of it, but it does seem like we're just... We're waiting to make a decision about whether then we make a decision about it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like uh, they announced this a long time ago, or did they announce the steering group 
to decide on whether that sounds about the right. Yeah. So they assemble the committees and decide to appoint a marketing company to do the study. Yeah. yeah. So two circles sounds. Two circles sounds like the company at the start of a Bond film that everybody thinks is good, <laughs> and then it turns out they're really the baddies halfway through. Yeah. I mean, I listed or, those companies that they've worked with, which obviously sound quite good, but then they're also responsible for the WRU growing the game. That's huge success that that's been as well recently. Um, I, I, you know, we get one anti-Welsh dig in at the start. Um, Craig, are you excited about this? Or does it feel very much kind of lots of talking about something that should just happen? Well, we've, we've been talking about this for some time, have we not? Um, you know, there's been there's been a you know, we've for the last probably six months there's been talk of a ever since the Lions um, tour to South Africa, we've been talking about a women's Lions team. But you know, we've got a women's Barbas, so I don't think you know um, a Lions should um, should not follow. I think it'll be it'll be a very very good thing. It'll be made up mainly of uh, red roses, probably, but um, uh, I think. I think it can it can really grow. Well, on my side of things, I'm looking for anything that will grow the women's game. Um, and so, if if even if it's a feasibility study, it's still a positive move. It's still something that um, gets us talking about women's rugby. And I think um, all of it can be positive if we can embrace it properly. Yeah, Johnny. The, I mean, they the, the would have to do something. You would imagine to. If they're going to make this work and get buy-in, and I presume this might be something the feasibility study would look at, is that they are, I know we've asked for it in the men's game, but they would have to have some form of quarters so that it wasn't just England ladies and a couple of the better players because you're not going to get buy-in from a wider range yeah. of fans at that point. Yeah, that's it. Like, I suppose it depends what they want to achieve with it. Like, if, if their sole stated aim is go out, find a team to play and win a test tour, then they're going to just pick a bunch of English players. But the, the problem is that if they do that, as we've seen from, from the Red Roses playing against France and New Zealand in the autumn, there's no point because there isn't a single test nation that can compete with the Red Roses. So the idea of of saying we're going to go out and we're going to win this series and all and that's our singular focus is pointless. Just send the Red Roses and they'll win. I think it probably makes more sense to have a women's Lions team as a sort of development, growing the game type thing because it brings a bit of excitement and if you make the team up properly, it gets everyone together. It's going to be a better product for facing a Southern Hemisphere test. And like, Yeah, it, dep- it depends what you want from it because I don't think purely being a team that wins a series is that interesting for a women's Lions team. Yeah, yeah, I think it's got to be yeah, kind of aimed differently. Sorry, the only thing I would say with that is that I agree with everything that you say, but then the the problem would be then is how you just distinguish that from what the Barbarians is right now, unfortunately, because that's effectively yeah. what it is, isn't it? Picking them on, on like, just putting the team together. Yeah, I suppose, John, it, it, we, we don't have to... There is an opportunity to create something new, though, off the back of the Lions, and, and using the Lions as a kind of concept that you don't have to mimic or shadow the men's game, they could kind of take a blank sheet of paper and say, if if we were starting the Lions now, forgetting the fact that we were touring in the 1800s with like guys that would just get on a ship for a piss up for three weeks. Like if you were, if you were a blank sheet of paper, professional rugby, you were inventing the Lions now, how would it look like? Who would we play? How would we do it? Because the prospect then is, well, would you have, would you kind of 
invite the southern hemisphere to create their version of the lions for yeah. example and do something like that even call it the northern hemisphere lions and you know invite the french to join and and just look create let's create something completely new as well as, as i think we've talked about in this podcast before with regards to the men's lions as well and you know as you rightly say we've kind of speculated about if you were to to start again today what would and i mean that was probably probably prior to Scotland actually, you know, having a decent share of lines, we were kind of considering, you know, how best to dismantle the institution and uh, send it on its merry. But um no, I, you know, I no, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think like I totally take Phil's point actually. I think just because of the, the depths of strength in certain nations currently in what in the women's world rugby game, I think it would be it would be difficult to justify because realistically, as as everyone's saying, realistically, you know, if you were picking the best players, you're going to have a 30, 33 odd squad of of English players with a few smattered about. It's it's not really going to be in the ethos of things, but then you don't want to go the other way and make it a barbarian. So the that's probably what the feasibility study is about. Like, how do you creatively come up with a concept that's going to be interesting to spectators of all involved? whilst still you know promoting the game of rugby and promoting something a bit different so it'll be interesting to see what they've come up with but i think it's the the lack of the lack of parity across the nations that makes it more difficult because again the british and irish lines on the men's side you know they're able to go to the world champions and you know whilst lose the series, but also kind of look like they probably, I mean, they probably should have won it, really. It was it was pretty desperate, but, you know, um, there is parity there, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm sounds like you're all Sorry, Kevin. Sounds like you're all talking about the one thing that we truly dream of, which is a North versus South All-Star game. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah let's 100%. go for it. Well, you could have a, you could have a, you know, like a Europe, and you could have a, a North America as well. You could have a South America, um, you know, 15 that you're going and basically they tour the world like i suppose like like scotland to the world but if you know what i mean it could be it could be having these sort of um uh all-star games all over the all over the world all over the world really just bringing up um you know bringing the attention to women's rugby but then to phil's comment is that not just the barbarians yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let's yeah. stick with the barbarians. But the, bar- but the barbarians is a world. The bar- barbarians draws from all over the world, doesn't it? It, it doesn't. Mm. It doesn't draw from just the north or the south or from so a particular the, so the geographical region. Versus the southern barbarians. Yeah, north well, versus south. All-star all-star game. Got an all-star, all-star <laughs> game. <laughs> Speaking, uh, the, the, there is talk again. It's raising its ugly head of this um, of having a world tournament uh, every second year yeah. in between World Cups, which is just stupid. If we say Start, North against uh, South All-Star game enough times, we can wish it into existence. Yeah. That's all, that's all I want. If this weekend has proven anything, Johnny, that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> we all just want to see Ali Price and Finn Russell bossing that game like the best players in the Northern Hemisphere. We just want to see are. them play well in the Principality. How hard is it? Like, well, just, just play well. Oh... That's yeah. what a lovely segue, John. Thank you for that. Let's You're move. Welcome, let's bro. let's talk about. Yeah, let's talk about the weekend then. Uh, Wales and Scotland. Um, I think it's everybody who listens to this podcast knows that we were fairly confident with a touch of the uh, about. It. I mean, you know, 
We were eighty percent of the way there, John. I mean, no, we weren't. We were ninety-five, mate. We were. Yeah, on, on, we were absolutely sold down the river. This was like the, I, I think we said on the OnlyFans podcast that this was the the only thing that was stopping me being absolutely like ripping Welsh tops off and being like, "Yeah, we're going to smash them." Was that we'd done this before, and this is what had happened. And yet here we stand. Yet again, we never learn. <laughs> yeah. I, has anybody watched the game back apart from no, me? No. Yeah. <laughs> I kept, I I kept needing to do it, and then every time I, I was like, no. no I, I have, yeah. I've was it as bad? Because I, I watched it back, Craig, and I thought, do you know what? It's It was it was fine. Like, jet overall, for, for 80% of the game, Scotland didn't play badly, but they, they they let Wales into the game a lot and their discipline was poor. And actually, I think Wales had the mark of Scotland and knew what was coming and dealt with it very effectively. And Scotland didn't have an answer to, to what Wales did. Do you think that's fair or do you yeah. think it was worse than that? No, I, I think it, there's two things for me. I think one, we've just gone back two years, um, and 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 you know we're we're the um, uh, we're the Scotland off um, mistakes, you know, dropping the ball, getting the ball taken out of our hands, knocking on, kicking it and hitting somebody rather than actually kicking it up into, in where it should go, panicking a little bit. But also the other side of things is Wales. Dominated, well, do, dominated is the wrong word. Wales knew the buttons to push, as in they messed with our set piece. If we don't have a strong set piece, we can't let the, let Finn Russell um, flow as well and their backs flow as well as we want them to. So when they disrupted our, our, our set piece, they, they, they disrupted our rucks, they slowed our rucks down dramatically because of, you know, right on the borderline legality, um, with the rucking, leaving bodies on 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 the wrong side of the ball, and then moving away, and the ref kind of he, he didn't give the penalties for them, so they they did it all exactly what they what I would have done against Scotland and slowed the ball down, and that that's in my yeah, oh, we've lost Craig to the Premier and Wi-Fi there, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> Phil, I'm, I'm interested in your take on, on this. Did Wales surprise you? Because I know you were kind of fairly pessimistic about how this was going to go. Um, but did it surprise you how, kind of how Wales came out and dealt with this? It did, yeah. It did massively, I must be honest. Um, I think perhaps what Craig said about going back to you is I think is maybe a little extreme to my mind, especially on the rewatch. Because, yes, they Scotland weren't as clinical as they were the previous week um but i feel like they were just on the cusp of burying us there was a couple of sort of coin flip moments throughout that game in the first and second half where a couple of split second decisions didn't go the way you'd want them to where they did go your way last last week i think i had one moment i think around 47 minutes where Tupoloto is clean through He's got Harris on his outside screaming for the ball and it's a two-on-one and 
he's not he's not clearing away Harris, but he's getting up to speed and asking for the ball. And Tuvaludu takes it into contact and goes down. I think it either gets knocked on from there or it's a turnover. I can't remember which one. But for me, that kind of summed up the, the game in a microcosm for me with like last week that goes to hand and you scored the try. Whereas, and I think you're right, Craig, they, we did try to target the destruction more. Only, I think it wasn't necessarily we went out to target Scot- Scotland in that way. I think we went out to just rectify how awful we were against Ireland the previous week. I don't think we were looking to particularly target Scotland in that way. I think it was an unintended consequence of how we wanted to play better this week compared to last week. I mean, let's face it, the bar was really low. (laughs) Much lower. Um, My real concern throughout the whole of these last two weeks is that what I saw on the weekend was the sort of difficult to beat Wales that didn't know when they were beaten, that Gatlin seemed to instill for a routine period of time. And I feel like through Pivac's tenure, what he's able to do is rise them up to that level for a game off of the back of a poor performance. And then it drops again. And I feel like it's a bit of a yo-yo with him. And I feel like Scotland were just unlucky to be on the receiving end of that uptick. I don't necessarily think it's a damning indictment of this Scotland squad because I really like this Scotland squad um, and I really expected them to to take us to task uh, on the weekend. And I think it was more just the fact that we came out wanting to prove a point at home. And I think if that game had been the first game of the Six Nations or the third game, if we were coming off the back of maybe an easy, uh, like a scraped win against Italy, I think you would have beaten us. Yeah. John, it's interesting that kind of what, what Phil was saying there, Johnny, about the the, gap, the, the hangover from the Gatland era, yeah. you know, has a positive effect on this Wales team. Whereas I think for me, looking at the two, particularly the, the two players or three, maybe three players that had a poor game, kind of date back to the Vern Cotter era or even, you know, or even the Scott Johnson era, which is, you know, Stuart Hogg, Finn Russell, to an extent, Xander Ferguson. And when you look at the players who had not a poor game, but like a mediocre game and were off the pace, I think it's the players that are still scarred by the will we'll fold in the last 20 minutes. Whereas I think the rest of the team have, have come along through the Townsend era, which is we are going to be in games for the last 20 minutes and, and, and we'll get narrow losses. Whereas it, so, so I wonder how much of kind of the, the frustration with Hogg and Russell and Xander, I think that kind of came out in the last 20 minutes a little bit. And they're the ones, ultimately, especially with Hogg and Russell, they're the ones that are kind of in control of the game plan. Yeah, well, that, that, I mean, that's absolutely it. In a nutshell, you you look to those two. Let's, let's exclude Xander for a second, right? Because, you know, obviously, most of the time he would be, the last 20 minutes, he'd be going to sit down and have a wee chill pill. Hogg, Hogg, and, Hogg and Russell have so much responsibility on them to create how Scotland play. Hog yet again went down the headless hog rabbit hole that, you know, it's almost like I I I I think there is an element with Hog that he still hasn't got over getting red carded in, in Wales. And every time he's down there, you watch probably every every time Hog's played in that stadium, watch him try too hard. Watch him try to do everything himself. Watch him not 
throw the pass when it's on. He 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 just demands and like sometimes you get away with it and we're all like, oh wow, he's an amazing player. And he is an amazing player. There's just like something switches on and he tries too hard. Russell again, actually Russell was one like I was really surprised in some ways at the criticism of Russell because I think like whilst again it was one of those ones where I think he didn't necessarily control the game well and I think Bigger had Bigger played better than him and that can happen but uh, for me it, it wasn't as stark as as, as Stuart Hogg because every time Hogg got the ball I was like he's going to run in a lateral because he's trying too hard and he's going to get tackled and turned over and it's pretty much what happened. It was sort of the polar opposite of that bashing to touch that he did last week with Max Malins, and it came off because he was just on a confidence high and everything was coming for him, and it was just like you could see in, in, in his body language that it was all different. Um, but I, I will say that I think I genuinely do believe that, yes, they it looks like they do have those two particular to have a little bit of a monkey on their back about this sort of stuff. But I do think that Scotland did themselves, put themselves in the position to let that affect those two by being more unlucky with their chances further throughout the game. They had opportunities to be further ahead. And I think if they were further ahead than seven, than 14 all, I think those doubts wouldn't have crept into to Hoggy and, and Finn's minds. Yeah. I mean, Finn didn't look happy, Johnny. I would say even at the start of the game, for me, normally smiling away at the anthems, he's looking happy. I think he had one smile, a couple of smiles during the game, but looking at him, he, he just, he did, he, he didn't look comfortable, and I don't know what it was, whether or not not it was just that the, he couldn't unpick the Welsh defence, he couldn't understand what he was doing. Yeah, I think, and it's it's weird and it's really annoying that like you you can tell basically how the game's going to go by the look on Finn's face in the first sort of like 10, 15 minutes. And like the most frustrating thing for me, and I've, I've said it till I'm blue in the face, I feel like I say it once every six months, is that I think Scotland are in the position now where we have the talent right through the squad and we have depth of talent in almost every position. We've got the systems. We've got the the players in place to use the systems. We've got a really, really good squad and we have these mental barriers that we just cannot get over. And every and every time you feel like we've, we've finally cracked it, this happens again. And, and the thing that worries me is that I think that that a mental barrier like that takes a lot longer to overcome than, you know, if we'd gone out and, and we could say definitively, we did this wrong, our defence wasn't good enough, our kicking was wrong, we did something tactically wrong, then you can you go to two weeks off, get back on the training field and you can fix that. Whereas that sort of mental thing takes a lot to get over. And I don't know, I, I was... Because I felt like this time after Australia and the autumn and stuff that we were over it, and now I feel like maybe we're not. <laughs> can, I, yeah. can I offer a little bit of a glass half full counterpoint to that? Go on, Phil. I, I I genuinely just think it's it's because the nations are getting closer because you guys have risen up in terms of your performances. Wales haven't dropped away completely. I know we've got an asterisk against that sort of that win last year. England is still England. I think the teams are actually all really on like close on. Ability, obviously not France because it's France and Ireland have shown this year that they're taking a step up again. But I think particularly England, Scotland and Wales all seem to be about in the same point 
sort of performance wise. And when you've got a tournament that is five teams in Italy, not doing Italy any disservice there, but when you've got a tournament that's five teams in Italy, it's going to come down to these weird sort of like knife edge games where you can't jump down the throats of, oh, we've got a mental block. Oh, we've got this. Oh, we've got that. It can just be a bad day at the office. And I think a lot of people were saying that about England last week in that they've got the talent, they've got the sort of resources and Scotland just came out on the day with a plan to beat them and did so. Wales did the same. And I don't think it's right to throw the baby out with the bathwater because of the way the tournament is at now at the moment, the level that we're all getting to as teams. This is exactly what I was saying the other day as well. And like... I think the people who are saying we suddenly became a bad team by losing to Wales are every bit as hyperbolic as the people who were suggesting we suddenly became a great team because we beat England and we should go down there and scalp Wales. Like we are, we are a good team now. We haven't become a good team overnight. We haven't become a bad team overnight. We've worked hard to be as good as four of the other teams in the Six Nations, and now it's a it's a tournament where anybody can beat anybody in pretty much any game. And I think that, like, I think Scottish Scottish fans just need to kind of level themselves out a little bit because everyone seems to either think we're the best in the tournament or we're down with Italy again after two games, which was two games with the exact same scoreline and one we won and one we lost. You're, so, saying, you're basically evolving into Welsh rugby Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's there is an evolution in the Scottish. Well, there needs to be, I think, an evolution in the Scottish fandom, and it's maybe happening a little bit, Craig. That. We, we go from plucky winners, plucky losers to we should be expecting every game to either win or lose by a score. And I think that's you know, that that's where Scotland are now, is that we are level pegging with, with the other teams in the Six Nations. And we, and we will generally now either win or lose a game by a score. It's it's, the, the, but, but we haven't got to the point where we're going to string wins together yet. Yeah, well, you know, I've 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 been th- I've lived through. You know, I'm a bit older than you guys. I've lived through the not scoring any tries and and winning a game just with penalty kicks, and that's it. And you know, and and getting absolutely pumped uh, by by teams, you know, losing against Italy and things like that. So it is, uh, it's 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 a great position to be in. And as we as we talked about last week in my, my aversion to swimming pools, we, we've got a huge amount of depth. Um, we've got, uh, you know, we've got a great performing pair of um, professional teams. We've got a strong union now. Um, so, it, I, 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 you know, I, that was one of my, I think I, I did I did go on Twitter um, uh, at the weekend to try and, I think alongside you guys, to try and calm everyone down because there was, it just went from we're going to win it, we're going to win everything, and then all of a sudden life is over. And okay, I laughed and joked at the beginning. It's about life being over, but it's it, it, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not as bad as the guy who suggested to me on Twitter that we we've made no progress over the past twenty years. <laughs> that person has clearly lived in a rock for the last twenty years, then, and not watched rugby because yeah. on, on a good silly. day we on a good day we can beat or we have the ability to beat and we have the personnel to beat many teams around the world now, which you wouldn't have said that 10 years ago. I was, this is what I was saying the other day is that the last two six nations, there's been one game between winning and coming fourth. Yeah. Last year, there was six points between being second and being fifth. Like this is, this is five really, really close teams now. 
we said on the we said the five year we we said in the five year podcast, didn't we? We looked at it in the last five years. Scotland have finished fourth once, and every other time on, on points. If you take away the points difference and board, you know, take away the points difference thing, we've either finished joint second, third, or joint third in the other years. Yeah, which is you know we look at the preceding years and we'd be sixth, fifth, fourth if we were lucky once, and we happened to get a win against it. You know, string two wins together. So to go from that to being second and third fairly consistently, joint on points difference, I think shows how much the gap's narrowed. But there is such an entitlement that comes with being a Scottish rugby fan that you immediately think that one win against England and a few positive performances makes you the best team in the world and we need to be able to smash everybody. Um, It's... Yeah, we, we, but, it's, but we it's, it's what you guys have said. We, we, need, we do, we do need, need to leave. And we need to start expecting to win games. I think that's correct. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. that comes with its own disappointment at the other it end. Does. I mean, Phil, Phil, Phil I, know, I know Wales fans are notoriously pessimistic, <laughs> but I'm interested because of Wales have had much more success over the past decade, if not 20 years, than Scotland, certainly than Scotland have. You've won Grand Slams, you've won championships. But do you? kind of expect or do you think Wales fans expect to win every game they play outside maybe the All Blacks or something like that or I don't think we necessarily expect to win every game I think going back to what we just discussed about the mentality switch is that we've gone from expecting to lose every game to believing there is a way we can win so not necessarily expecting to win the game but understanding that there is a set of sort of events that can play out across the game that will allow us to win it in the, in this in pretty much the same way that it unfolded on Saturday in the fact that I didn't necessarily expect us to win that game because the squads on paper were atrociously unbalanced like I remember I listened to the only fins and had the guy Carwin from the uneducated rugby podcast was saying that he would take 10 Scots and five five Welsh um, for his combined 15. And I thought that was being really kind, to be honest. <laughs> um, so I think the difference is, is that we're not necessarily, not pessimistic enough to say we're going to lose and not necessarily arrogant to say we expect to win. But there's a middle ground there that I think we've settled on, which is we can we can believe that once that whistle goes, we can find a way to do something it might be that we get bullied off the ball horrendously like it happened in Ireland. But it might be what happened on the weekend, which was find a way to hold on and then execute a moment that turns the game. Yeah, That's perfect. That's exactly the way I think Scotland should be thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. I've got... Here's a controversial question for you, Craig. I'll start with you. Are Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg undroppable during a game? Because things, you know, Finros did a lot of good in that game. I thought we'd get away from that, but there was an element. Watching it back, there was an element. You could see him; he was frustrated. You could see the things he was trying weren't coming off. And on the bench, and we've talked about this before, you have a different ten. Now, I'm not. This isn't me saying that Finn Russell and Blackinghorn's better than Finn Russell or anything, but clearly Townsend has identified Blackinghorn as offering something else. Admittedly, Russell gets the card on the 66 minute and it might not be an opportunity to replace him, but 
should is Russell so is Russell undroppable or should Townsend have gone? Do you know what? This isn't working with Finn. We're, we're not making the yards. We're not penetrating. It's time to bring on Blacking on and 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 ask questions of uh, different questions of the Welsh defence. Well, this is the whole reason we and and the conversation we've had and and the passionate conversation that we've had on this podcast on a regular basis about Blair Kinghorn, and I keep saying it. And Blair Kinghorn brings something different. He's not Finn Russell, and if we're not, if Finn Russell isn't doing the job, why the hell not bring him on? And if you if you watched what happened um, in the last five minutes of the game, or even the last two minutes of the game when Basham should actually been off and sitting on the naughty step, um, we we started to power up the field and we started to get up, you know, gain yardage. And actually, I think, for, you know, if we're losing the if we're losing the set piece or we're losing the ruck or, or the, the advantage of a ruck of a quick um, quick ruck ball, then Blair Kinghorn's going to give you that break on the soft shoulder or you know, power and power through the gaps. So I don't understand why he's there if we're not going to use him. Yeah. And we it's just, the same with, sorry, Karen. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I was on the Blood and Mud podcast with um, Lee and, and Will Owen, um, who's the other half of Squid Rugby, was on, John, and he was saying, actually, he was surprised that Hastings isn't on the pitch because, as he pointed out, Hastings kind of manufactured the win against France, really, by the way that he marshaled the game. And if, if, if Hastings has been dropped out the squad altogether with his given work-ons or whatever he's been told to do, posing naked for the Gloucester calendar, it seems, is the uh, what, he's, what he's up to. But, um, uh, you know, you, if you need to you be able... Surely, in a game of international rugby, you have to use your bench. You can't just have somebody there for the sake of being cover. You're going to, at some point, have to grow up here and if that's the person you've selected, give them a chance to do something. When we were doing the Six Nations preview and I wasn't disagreeing with Craig, I wasn't arguing with him, <laughs> I was stating the fact that if we were uh, with with Blair Kinghorn, because I agreed with you actually, I think he, he would be the 22-23, whatever, however we split the bench, I thought he would be there, but he wouldn't be used. And I said that is Blair Kinghorn going to be? Would I thought it would be more likely to be brought on in the wing than he would be at fly half? So why is he there? Why are we? Why do we not have a specialist fly half that we trust at international level to take over from Finn Russell to go and try and change a game? It's what every other nation does, and we haven't. If Blair Kinghorn isn't being trusted to do that, then. It shouldn't be happening. I'm not saying he should not have been trusted to do that, Craig, because I agree with you. I think he does offer very different different options. I think he would have worked quite well if you bring him on quite early against Wales and just start really challenging that fringe defence. Because I think we it was a horrid day down there, and clearly it was it was ball up your ball up your shirt rugby, which is perfect. For a six foot five, eighteen stone ten to go and run straight if, over the top of somebody. But that's the thing. If you if you look at um, uh, well, I, I don't know if you watch very many Edinburgh games, but if you watch the Edinburgh I, games I, that, I that yeah that, that, that Blair Blair Kinghorn breaks the line, he always takes the tackle or breaks the line and then gets the offload away. Yeah, imagine, imagine Sione coming through there at pace, Sam Johnson at pace, um, or or Cammy Redpath at pace. Taking the you know taking a ball off off him breaking the tackle and through you're, you're 
there there are more options there. So uh, I'm, I think I'm it's not just saying, very I'm, very I'm not, naive to have someone on the bench and not use them though. It's yeah, and I'm not naive. saying he's perfect. I'm not saying he he would have won us the game. I'm just I just saying that you know um, I agree with what Cammy's saying that, that that we should be looking at these different options and not just going down the line of Finn Russell as God. You know he, he is a very he's I've said it before he's a He's he's a he's world class, but world class people uh, players have not off games, but quiet games. Yeah. Do you remember when we took him off for a and we brought Greg Laidlaw on at ten? Or we moved Laidlaw to ten? Yeah, that was magnificent. Yeah. Won that game. My, my only problem with that would be when it's a three point game. Even on a bad day, there aren't many players, not just in the Scotland squad, but in the in the entire world of rugby that can take one moment and make something happen, like Finn Russell. So even if Finn's having a bad day, if you're three points behind, there's got to be something in the back of your head that says, if there's, you know, half a second of broken play and, and a defender who's six inches out of position, can Blair Kinghorn make something happen with that? And whereas Finn is one of the few people in the world who can. So you, like, personally, I think you're, you're absolutely right. We need to have an option at 10 on the bench where we can change a game and we can attack something differently. But also, if we were three points behind, you have got to be thinking, who's Keep the person the that's party. going to take your chance? Keep him on Shift him to 12, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the other kind of thing that I noticed, is, um, obviously Darcy Graham had another great game, but there's a but with this, and it's a but with Duhan as well. I wonder whether or not they're getting themselves into too much trouble, Johnny, by taking it into contact. And because they can break so many tackles... And this might just be Wales, you know, again, Wales were just a bit of alert to Duhan and Darcy's threat that both of them were breaking tackles and having about five men hanging off them. But the problem is then when you when they're then brought down to ground, there's five Welsh shirts on top of them. And when and they got both got turned over in those scenarios. And I wonder whether there's an argument whether and it's coachable, but whether both players need to realise that this, you know. Breaking tackles is fun and it looks great on the telly, but sometimes you just need to go to ground and recycle the ball. Yeah, no, definitely, because we have had a problem historically with with ended up with, with runners isolated. And that's how you end up coughing up turnovers, especially when when the, the kind of fetchers were as rabid as Wales were on Saturday, is you need you need to know where your support is. You need you need to use your support effectively. And I think you're you're absolutely right about both both Darcy and Duhan do have this thing where they're like, it's all right, I'm just gonna I'll just take care of this. And it's like that's fine when it works, but when it doesn't work, then you're in you're in serious bother. And so yeah, you're you're right. It is a coaching point that they need to look at, which is that somebody, and this is someone who was missing, I think, on Saturday, is someone like Sam Johnson very rarely gets himself isolated. Whereas the pair of them do. And obviously when you're on the wing, it's a bit harder because you don't have as much support naturally in the area anyway, but you do need to think about where's my support, how can I use it? But does he? He does take it, he does take the ball into contact quite a bit, Sam Johnson. And he does, he but he doesn't get isolated though. He has, he though. has, he has been anything. isolated. He has been isolated before. He's Nowhere had turnovers against Darcy and Duhan, though. I've got a bit of... he's not he's not out in the wing. I've got There's a bit on this Stephen's one. referee here, Phil, go on. I've got I'll be on my take on this one. In, in the similar way to the conversation earlier about Wales swarming the breakdown a bit more, I think, or it's to me it seemed like 
Wales haven't got a defence coach. They just put <laughs> Jenkins there. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily a... I don't think it was necessarily an intentional tactic to swarm those two because they, we'd identified that they get isolated. I think they got isolated because we have a soft defence. Our defence at the moment is a lot more spongy than it used to be. It is a lot more absorptive than it, it didn't used to be. It was used to be a rush up and stop the line, whereas now we let players through and then swarm over. So I think that, well, yes, you're, you're right. I think they did get themselves a little bit exposed. I don't necessarily think it was through their own fault. I think it was more the fact that they were breaking through because the Wales defence is softer than that. And they found themselves on the wrong side of five Welsh players when they didn't necessarily expect to. Was there they an element of Jimmy Ritchie as well? Wrong. Something needs to change and they need to be aware of it. But that was my read on that, was that it wasn't actually anything that they were doing intentionally wrong. They were just getting caught in a funny defence. You were saying, Joe, about Jamie Ritchie. I think that's, that I was going to ask that question. I mean, I think he, Sam Skinner, I love Sam Skinner. I'm not, he's not a bad player. He had a good game, but he, he he's wasn't a the player. We, he's not the player we needed at six because. No. You've, you 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 miss somebody arriving at defensive and attacking rucks. Yeah, fast. if you if you identify Phil's Phil's point there, and I think it would have been quite clear to anyone who has watched any rugby that the Welsh team, whilst their defence is still certainly their goal line defence is still extremely uh, strong, and um, they give away penalties at the right times, they do tend to concede yards on the soft shoulder. So if you're sending runners like Duhan away, you really need a mobile back row to get there. Watson can't do it all himself. We lost Fagerson very early on. I think Skinner, I think he was the wrong choice. And, you know, that 2020 hindsight, 2020 hindsight. Uh, but, like, I think he was the wrong choice. And I think there was... Uh, I don't think necessarily Bradbury was the right choice, Craig, while you're making those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, can, you can stop your fist pumps, by the way, because Skinner's an end of the player now as well, don't forget. Exactly. Yeah, of course. We'll tell your, we'll your cult sees that. No, I, I, was I, just I, wanting, I was just wanting to see, hear John say that Bradbury should have been on the field. That was all. Yeah. He just waited to see. And he totally, he totally disappointed me. And yet, I mean, that's basically my whole life in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, th- I think Skinner was a, Skinner was the wrong choice. But like we were saying on the Friday before the game, like, it's hard to see it at that point because you don't know how both teams are going to set up and play. He there was the complexity of the line out option as well, which you know set piece didn't function. Is uh, is a good player, but is is nobody could replace Jamie Ritchie, and I think we missed him massively. Is Jamie Ritchie Scotland's least replaceable player? Yes, yes. I think I think he might be. Yeah, you could throw you could throw Blair Kinghorn in. Here we go, Craig. This is I'm going to give you something here. Crumbs, <laughs> have some crumbs, my son. Uh, you could throw Blair Kinghorn in for Stuart Hogg, and you get a different type of fullback, but you'll still get yards. You'll still get kicking. You'll still get a reason. You probably get a more secure high ball. You'll get a reasonable performance out of that. Throw Adam Hastings in for Finn Russell. Same same concept. We've done it when Finn had too many beers. You can't replace Jamie Ritchie. Not yet. I mean, you. I mean, but he's young and you don't really need to either. 
but no, but you, we need injured, to step, you, if he's injured, you need someone to step into that role. Yeah. And he's been injured before, yeah. and we struggled. Yeah. yeah. There. I think Skinner was there on Saturday because he's the nastiest, to be honest, because that's another thing that you get from Jamie Ritchie that we don't get a lot from others. I think there was just a game plan to go and try and bully Wales, and we forgot the Wales are very good at not being bullied. Yeah. And Skinner couldn't really get any purchase on that. So Yeah. Um I don't know, is there any, any other I mean the thought I don't know if there's anything else to discuss really about that game. Apart the bomb squad's the... a stupid idea. The bam squad's a really stupid <laughs> yeah, idea. Yeah. A stupid idea. Get the bam squads around. lot was that what did Tooney get the front rows exactly the wrong way around between the last two weekends of games? I feel like they should have been exactly inverted. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. so, so, so yeah, they should have been. Next question. But I think yeah. what, what I was I was very proud of the uh... terrified of from the from the first scrum, and then. To the, to the point where this is going to sound insane, but to the point where I thought that Finn put the restart out on the floor intentionally because they wanted to teach them a lesson. From. <laughs> <laughs> the first scrum, Wales won, and I thought, they're not going to have that. They're not going to put up with that. That's, that's an anomaly. We shouldn't have won that scrum with that Scotland front row. So I genuinely, in my own head, because this is how paranoid I was about us definitely losing the game, I assumed Finn had just put it out on the full just so he could say, Scrum on the halfway line. Let's show him how it's actually done, boys. Obviously, okay. I was wrong, but I was very surprised. It, but actually, and, and the, the um, rugby special did an analysis on that first scrum, and actually, Scotland should have had it. But you know, you take the you know you take the decisions as they're made, and we're not going to complain about referees on this podcast because it's pointless. But it, yeah, I, it was. I think it's just the idea of having a. Two sets of front rows, and I can see why. You know, it's the Ember front row, and then it's the AN other front row. But it just play your best for a front row. I think you just have to play your best starters, Craig. You know I mean? And there's an argument to say that you know Schumann, you're not weakening a scrum by having starting Schumann with you know Turner and Xander, are you? Absolutely not. And I was really proud of the Scotland, the Scottish fans. I could hear them shouting "shoo" whenever he got the ball, <laughs> um, uh, or "school," as I was corrected by Ian. But um, no, I, I, I think he's he. Well, he's obviously going to be called upon um, quite heavily now with um, with Sus being out. But uh, I think he's he, he's showing how versatile he is. He's you know. He's able to. He's 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 great around the field now, um, and uh, and he's also an incredibly strong scrummager. So um, no, I, I'd love to. I, I actually, I think we've seen. Have we not seen Asander, Turner, and, and Shoe front row before? Yeah, I think I think we did in the autumn. I think. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's very. Exciting. Am I am I right in saying just like I've got like this horrible crushing feeling in my soul that uh, that Alan Dale is now the backup. Said, is that is that right, or you know, can we can we get a bit of cable time? You can get cable time. I think it's not. Uh, they're just there for people to. No, I know, I know. They're, you they're can, there for training, yeah, but you can call. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, Dell was named in the squad. I'm not just imagining that. No, he was named in the squad, no. but I wonder how much of that is just. Let's pull him out and see what he's like, and give him a run in training. We, we know, know what Ollie Kebble, we, know, we know what Ollie Kebble can do, and he's training at Glasgow. He's only along the road, whereas yeah, you have true. to get Alan Dell up from London Irish. And I mean, anyone anyway, who's done the BA flight, I mean, it's maybe Gregor Townsend just wanted to look at him. 
That's true, yeah. Fair enough. I would, I would have done that. Well, no, I mean, then why is he not getting Hastings up? Because that calendar's not bad, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's waiting for his hair to grow back. <laughs> it's never grown back. Um, he needs to get plugs. I'll tell you one thing that I do want to address. All of this talk about how this is the, the weakest Wales team of the professional era and how we should have walked all over them and, and whatever. And they were missing, like, they're missing key players, right? They are. There were still eight Lions in that Wales 23, which is the same as what we had. Their loose head, their number 10, and their fullback all started in the most recent Lions test. All three of their back three were Lions. Two of them are Test Lions. This, like, this idea that Scotland are suddenly now this team that should go and spank Wales because they're missing Alvin Jones and Justin Tipperich is just ridiculous. And like people saying, oh, we should be ashamed of ourselves that Will that Will's team's the weakest they've ever been. Had as many Lions as we've got. Had six test Lions in their squad. Like, if that's the weakest team that, that Wales have ever had, we're in some serious trouble. Alan Dell's a lion. He is. <laughs> Alan Dell has a hundred percent uh record of winning scrums against the heads for the Lions as well. Absolutely, yeah. 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 <laughs> as it should be. <laughs> Um, I don't know if there's any more for any more, really. I did I did have a nice clip, but it's it's not uploaded. I had a lovely clip of uh, Gregor Townsend and Stuart Hogg's press conference. Did anybody see it? No, I didn't. No, I was too sad they to watch it. They were furious. Press. Absolutely furious. <laughs> and the press... Com- well, in Murrayfield, the, and John will know this in Murrayfield, the, the press, where you have the press conference... It's near. It's it's adjacent to the changing rooms, and you can hear a little bit of singing. But you can't hear an awful lot. The press conference for in the the principality must be right next to the Wales changing rooms because all the way through both the press conference, you can just hear the entire Wales Wales squad um, celebrating. And at the end of Gregor Townsend's um, press conference, they say, "Is that it?" There you go. Everyone says, "Yep, that's it." He just goes, "It's like a mobile disco in here." <laughs> and then it cuts to Hoggies, and Hoggies starts with him just with a face like thunder. Somebody asks him a question, and he just turns around. The press officer goes, "I'm on mute. I'm on mute. You're not. You're not. So, so, can you hear me?" And then the guy just asks his questions again. And he starts answering, and then goes, "I am. I'm on mute. I'm on mute." And you get absolutely furious, and they go, "You're not on mute." And they have to get the entire press pack to go, "We can hear you." Before he'll answer. <laughs> Absolutely, it's well worth watching just because how furious they are. Can I ask a question then? Go on, please. Is this Hoggy's last Six Nation as captain? Should be, yes. As long as Jamie Ritchie's fit for the next one. As we all know, fullback should not be captains. (laughs) There you go. I thought we'd have a better discussion here, but obviously not. No, it's not, you know, I, I just, it tries yeah. too hard. It just tries too hard, and I, it's yeah. There you go, Cam. Sorry. I think the captaincy sit doesn't sit. He would say the captain sits well with him. He would say I'm an experienced player, but I, you can see, I don't think it gives him the freedom to play because I think he's thinking about too many things at once. Yeah. I think that it 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 makes him think twice with the decisions that he makes. Whereas what you want from Stuart Hogg is just to give him the freedom to get into games yeah. and do what he wants to do without thinking about the other 14 players around him. And I know sometimes he think doesn't think about the other 14 players around him and he doesn't pass to them. But what I mean is, I think he, he's not... You don't want him kind of bowed to the pressure of the captaincy. Whereas I think someone like Jamie Ritchie or... A, I think, for me, 
He Just captains a forward or your nine and ten. There we go. Forward or a nine and ten. That's who your captain needs to be. It's funny because we had both a former Glasgow captain and a for- former slash current Edinburgh captain in the second row. You know, in, in Gilchrist and Gray. There's a lot of leadership there and neither of them would be called on to be Scotland captain. Um, it's surprising that we... we and again, there's a comment that's come in regarding it. Did Hoggy ask for the captaincy? Or was it uh, stamp his feet and ask, uh, tell, tell, tell Tooney, I'm, I'm going to be captain? I it's, think he did ask for it. I think he did, he did ask, he did for, ask it. for it. Yeah. He did ask it, for it. It seems like, yeah, I, I have to agree with that. I'll pop the comment up, actually, because I have to agree with it. It says, I would never give the captaincy to someone that asked for it. Yeah, I'd like, never be a member of a club that would have you as a member. I think both him and <laughs> to, a, to a lesser extent Finn I think need need to kind of come to the realisation of how good the players around them are now yeah. and I think that's part of Hoggy's problem with being captain is that he's always been one of the top guys he's always been one of the best players now he's one of the best players and he's the captain and so I think he feels like a lot falls on his shoulders. Him and Finn to take a step back and realise that there's good players there in almost every position and they do not have to do everything themselves. I don't think there's any rules that says that you cannot have, a, in effect, a club captain to be hog. Yeah. And if he's, if, he's a, if he's a really good leader off the pitch, fine. I don't, and if one of the most experienced, I don't see why he can't say, great, he's Scotland captain. But what we're going to do is we're going to have a match day captain. And that's not undermining him. It's just, one, is for practicalities yeah. because we want our 15 sprint and halfway up the pitch to speak to a bloody referee. But also, it's just, it, 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 the leadership, the, the communication needs to happen elsewhere on the pitch. So we're not undermining him. He's he's the leader. He's in charge, but we're going to have a match day captain. And I don't, I don't think there's any rules that would stop you from doing that, Phil. Craig will know this. We played against uh, Perthshire not that long ago, and when he called the captains in, and I came running from fullback. Thank you very much. It is a long way. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the referee turned right and went, "You're the fullback." And I said, "Yes." And he said, "Is there a forward I can speak to as well?" <laughs> Fine. <laughs> is, is there a real captain I can speak to? We'll go and find a forward then, will we? Can you find a grown-up? <laughs> <laughs> I want to speak to someone who's going to be on the pitch in the next ten minutes. Uh, no, I, but, I, but I, one of the one of the things that I'm not the biggest fan of Dan Bigger, but one of the, I listened to a few of his interviews leading up to the game, and and one of the things that struck me though was the fact that they were talking about him chatting at the referee. You know, he, he chats a lot to referees and things like that. He said, "What do you say to the to the the guys in training?" And I think his comment was, um, "I don't need to say anything because I've got my leaders." All within the team who speak, and I don't need to. And I, I like that. I like having those people do. You know, he's not. He's he's not. You know, I just I like that compared to. I think Hoggy's more of a. You know, he likes to tell people. He likes to talk to. He likes to talk the captain job. You know. Well, yeah. Everyone said Hoggy spoke well after the game, and actually, there's sometimes just silence is absolutely fine. Yeah. There's someone that says um, uh, says it's almost like some rugby clubs when you have a team captain whose first name on the team sheet and a social captain do the press as advertising. I think we know who the social captain is in that Scotland squad, and you know <laughs> we've, we've seen the damage that can that can wreck. 
Um, I think we're all done for this week for the main podcast, unless anybody's got anything else they want to talk about. No? Good. Let's end it there then. Look, we'll be back next week with a preview of the France game. There's some URC games happening as well. We'll catch up on those and bits of news. Um, if you're a Patreon and you're watching live, if you hang on, we'll be back with the uh, second half of the podcast in a moment. Um, if you're a patron, you can listen to the second half of the podcast, which comes out as a separate episode. But to everybody else, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from John, Craig, Johnny and Phil. Bye. Bye. Thanks.